hello and welcome back to Displaced Underdogs. I'm your host, Morgan. I know that recently I've been talking about some pretty serious topics and I would like to kind of break it up a little bit, yet remain serious, but kind of add some helpful positive this like message this episode like have an episode that has more clear and defined this is how you can start to change and here are some solutions you can start today so I'm going to dive into one of the other major topics that make most Americans squirm and avoid talking about in polite society if you will and day-to-day conversations finances and budgeting we're coming into the holiday season guys and this is not necessarily the right time to budget but everybody seems to all of a sudden stick like come up with a real stringent budget so they have enough money for the holidays for christmas gifts for their loved ones for saving up for that big dinner and everything and it's on every finances and budgeting are on everybody's mind so we're just going to get right to it so sit back plug in relax and enjoy so One of the biggest stresses in the average American household and most relationships, as well as most households around the world, is financial stress. And kind of keeping in line with shaming, it's funny how we don't like to talk about relatively important things or things that impact our lives so significantly from previous episode talking about mental health and the uh, the biggest stumbling block being um, stigma. Because just like with mental health, if your financial health is poor, there's a stigma against you. And we all have a stigma against people that are poor or broke. And I like how Dave Chappelle said his father gave him the advice that poor is a state of mind and broke is a state. Poor is a state of being and broke is a state of mind. It's temporary and you're not going to be broke forever. Just right now you're going through financial hard time where if you start to think of yourself as poor, it actually, our, our brains are so interestingly complex that when you think that you're financially poor, you start, your brain starts to trick you into thinking that you're poor in a lot of other areas in your life. And And I really like that about it, Sticks and Stones, um, Netflix comedy. I'm not a huge fan of Dave Chappelle, but I really did appreciate that 
stand-up comedy special he did for Netflix. There's a lot in it that's actually very impactful and very honest. And it's all the stuff that nobody wants to talk about. So let's talk about finances. (laughs) Let's, Let's go into the taboo of talking about finances. And I'm sure when you were younger and asked a friend's parent, like, like you're, I'm sure that when you were younger and you made a new friend that your parents would kind of feel out in their own underhanded, sneaky way. And it's not malicious or anything like that. It's just they wanted to judge a person like, whether it was okay to let you go over to their house or whatnot, and and what kind of people they were by sneakily asking, like, what your friend's parents did for a living and, and then finding out their job, they can then figure out around how much they made at their job. And, and your parents would go wide-eyed and And, you know, like, they would just kind of, oh, so they're a banker. And you're just like, yeah, they work at the bank. You're a little kid. You're seven or eight or nine. And you're like, yeah. So what what does Johnny's, what, where do Johnny's parents work? Uh, well, I don't know, but I'll ask. And then you ask, and then it's, Oh, you come back and you report back to your parents. Well, Johnny's mom works at the bank and his dad does something with the law. Eh. And then your parents kind of go wide-eyed and just, oh, okay, so they're good people for you to be around. All right, because we do. We are pack animals. If you look at humans as animals very intelligent animals, but still there's a hierarchy and there's a pack and there's a herd mentality. We don't like to be alone. There are exceptions to the rules, but for most human beings, it is very true that we don't like to be alone. And so, and I'm sure that if you ever straight asked somebody like how much they make, People go wide-eyed and instantly admonish you through gritted teeth. Kind of like, Morgan, you don't ask someone that. It's rude. And then, you know, if it's like your parents and you're a kid, they just kind of, I'm so sorry. Or if you yourself as an adult, like talking to a friend or something, and they say that their company is hiring and you're just kind of like, well, how much do you make and, like, how much does it, how much do you make starting off? People kind of go, uh, oh, you know, I don't, I don't really know. I heard that it's between this and this and, and, and people get really kind of, I don't really want to talk finances. Or if, like, you're asking a coworker, a peer, Someone at the same level as you, with the same education, at the same job, doing the same thing you are, and you and you both started relatively the same time, or even if you talk to people that have 
that are working the same job as you. Like you're an unloader on a truck and you talk to the person that's been there for two or three years, like, well, how much do you make? And people just, employers don't like you talking about finances and salary and wages because more often than not, it actually, they don't want people gathering together. <laughs> it's a way to kind of keep control. Um, but also it's just seen as, and then with amongst the workers and stuff, it's just seen as impolite and taboo and you, and you don't do it. But the catch 22 here is that everybody wants to know what everybody else is making so that way they can figure out hey do I have to have a meeting and renegotiate or they want to figure out like who people are based on how long they've held their job um what their job is and average guesstimating how much they make because that's the polite way of of trying to figure out whether a person's a good person or not <laughs> so <sighs> proper social etiquette in regards to asking someone else about their finances essentially and it's a very roundabout and cryptic way of asking that we do. When we were kids, when our parents were asking us about our friends' parents and their stuff. And, and we all find that cryptic roundabout way of asking what other people make. Um, and it's just too much work if you ask me. There were other reasons as well because the subtle nuances that are riddled throughout almost every human-to-human -human interaction that people tend to overlook or oversimplify or sometimes read too much into. It all depends. There's, there's always a subtle nuance in everything, but I digress. So, when it comes to finances and budgeting in today's modern America, it's quite staggering the lack of budgeting you see. When my parents were little, they, they told me that when they were little and they were going through school, that it was required that they pass a home economics class that taught them basic cooking, basic housekeeping, how to do the laundry, um, basic life skills that you need as an adult. And one of them was basic balancing out a checkbook. And I'm going to throw some numbers because I'm a research girl and I like statistics and I like empirical data to back me up. So as of 2015, 40% of American adults said that they would have to either borrow or pawn possessions. They would have to borrow money from a friend or a relative 
or pawn off their possessions to come up with $400 for an emergency expense. Seven in 10 Americans say they will work for as long as they're able to because 50% of Americans do not have a retirement fund. According to the United Way, between 31 to 44% of American households cannot afford the bare minimum to live and work in today's society. And most economists know that the American federal poverty line has not kept up with the real increase of living to people's basic needs and has not kept up with inflation. And poverty in 2019, this day and age, has a new image and or face than it used to. When we thought of people living in poverty or being poor and unable to afford things, we always remember that kid that had clothes that were either too small like a size or two too small because they would just wear them because we knew that their parents, like they didn't come from a good financial place. And so they would wear clothes until they could no longer wear them or they would have clothes that were like too baggy, too big that they would have to take care of and make last for as long as possible. Um, We also remember like the people that lived in like the broke down trailer with just like they had a generator and we all kind of think of the Clamptons, Beverly Hillbillies, when we when they lived in their shack, their old shack out in the woods before he struck oil, got rich and all that. Like they were poor and that's what poverty looked like to most Americans. All the way up to about the 2000s, early 2000s. And now, even in nice neighborhoods, in those nice houses, hides very real struggles of those that live inside. And poverty has taken on a new face. People that work hard at full-time jobs that pay just enough over minimum wage are making just enough to get by, but not near enough to provide real peace of mind or stability or any real security. And I came across this woman, Elizabeth White. And as Elizabeth White puts it, we live in a culture where it is delicious to shame and blame. And... She's right. It's, it's very true. We hear it all the time that minimum wage jobs are not meant to be forever jobs. They're supposed to be entry-level jobs that get you experience and get you started. We also hear how people are just making excuses to avoid hard work because millennials millennials are just ruining everything and they're just lazy snowflakes and don't know what real work looks like and yet when you 
open up and talk about your financial troubles, people tend to look at you like you're a failure or a loser. And most jobs these days, there are very few entry-level positions that have any real growth opportunity unless you go to college. Most entry-level positions these days require high school diploma, GED, good, but an associate's degree preferred, a bachelor's degree required. Most entry-level jobs outside of the food industry and the retail industry require you to have some sort of experience, previous experience in previous jobs similar to what you're going for, or education. And most entry-level jobs now require that pay just a little above minimum wage They not only require experience, but they also require school. And if you go immediately from high school to college, you don't get the experience because then when you go for the job, you've got the school, but they look at you and go, ooh, so this is great. This is good. This is good. This is, I'm, this is all good. Ooh, but you're missing experience. You've got the school super duper, but now you're just, You just don't have enough experience. So go out, go get some experience. And then if you go get experience before going to school, it's then you apply for a promotion and it's like, oh, this is good. This is, you've been with the company for five years. You are just super loyal and you've worked your way up the chain. You've learned everything but you just don't have a degree. So you've got the experience, you're just missing the degree. And then we get stuck chasing our tails. We're this dog that's running around in a circle trying to chase our tails. Because once you start working, it, it's really, really hard to go back to school. And if you go to school, it's really, really hard to find a job that, you know, you went to school, you have this degree, you, you did everything you could to make yourself more valuable in the workplace and you're not getting paid enough for that value. And sometimes you get denied jobs if you have school because, ooh, you're going to ask for more than we can start you off with. And employers get that. I mean, I moved from Washington State to Indiana, and I can tell you Washington State at that time, back in 2015, 2016, their minimum wage was $9.45 an hour. Indiana is based off of the federal minimum wage of $7.25 an hour. Me finding a job here in Indiana was almost in fucking possible because every job that I went to I didn't care if it paid minimum wage at that time I just needed a job I just needed income and I even said that in interviews but they all looked at my last wage made 
and they never factored in the state. And this is all in the United States. This is all U.S. You would think that it would be understandable and that states work together and know what's going on with other states. That's an absolute farce and that's an absolute lie. They were just like, ooh, the most that we can offer you is $8 an hour and you're probably not going to take it because you were making at least $10 an hour. So I don't, I don't know if we can hire you. So, and we've based our idea of success by the income we have and the things we buy. And hyperconsumerism is quite apparent in most American households these days. Houses, the average square footage of a house has increased by 22% in the past two decades, reaching an average of 2,640 square feet in 2016. The number of storage facilities has doubled, reaching up to 52,000 facilities nationwide in 2018. In 2017, Americans spent roughly $240 billion on goods like jewelry, watches, luggage, phones, and other such goods. Personal care items like lotions, perfumes, makeup also doubled in profits as well. And doubled in what Americans spent on them as well. And we spend so much on faking success that we are willing to put ourselves in financial hardship and financial debt. And it makes sense in an evolutionary sense because it used to be the person that had more resources like clothes, food, water, shelter, enough for them and their families were more likely to survive. He who had more was more likely to survive. But today it is getting harder and harder to keep up with it all. More Americans are going to college than ever before, but that means that more and more Americans are accumulating more and more debt right out the gate of education as well. And once you graduate, so are a bunch of other people with similar degrees going for the same jobs, forcing most employers to, quiet, to require X amount of time and experience, as well as the degree. But while you were getting the degree first, someone else was getting the experience, like I said. But if you were getting the experience, you couldn't afford to get the degree. And then we get into this circular tail chase. And it's just, it all comes back on itself. And it just wears people out and frustrates them. And it undermines their self-esteem. And they get marketed to that if you have this car or dress and look a certain way, you'll be successful. And you should also do self-care. So buy this lotion, buy this face mask, buy this bath bomb, buy and buy. And, it, and we get dopamine hits when we purchase things. And we even get dopamine hits 
in anticipation of the purchase. Now that there's a lot of things online and that's why you get people with buyer's remorse. You get that initial hit of dopamine when you buy something. And if you buy it online, you get like triple the dopamine hit. You get the dopamine hit when the anticipation of buying the product. You get the dopamine hit when you purchase the product. And then when it comes in the mail, you get that third dopamine hit. But then when you go to look at your bank account, buyer's remorse sets in and you regret it. And more people, nine out of 10 people that purchase stuff online and never use the stuff or regret purchasing it will not return it because it's either too much of a hassle or eventually they might use it. They thought it was a good purchase at the time, realize, eh, don't really need it, and then figure, maybe in the future I'll, I'll use it. So, you need all this stuff, and we get marketed all this stuff, to be that desirable candidate or to be the person that made it. And for a moment... It feels nice when you purchase that indulgent item or thing. But no one teaches the importance of a budget these days. Most colleges will teach a class on resume writing and how to interview well before you graduate, but never teach basic budgeting or finances unless you sign up for it specifically. High schools will do everything to help teach you to get into college and take time out to do job assessment tests to see what you're more suited for and what you should tailor your college education towards and offer courses that play to your strengths to better your chances of getting into that college and eventually getting you that job career that fits you best, but, but they won't teach you basic budgeting, how to build your credit responsibly, or how to do your taxes, something as vitally important and yet gets no attention at all. So many are crippled when it comes to personal finances from the start. So what do we do? Well, I have a few anecdotal ideas that I will share after a short break. Welcome back. And let's get into some things that we can do to help out. Obviously, one of the things that we can do and a good starting place is introducing a class of basic finances in high school that discuss budgeting, that discuss taxes, that you have to take and pass in order to graduate. It has to be required. 
And I think a class on basic finances and basic taxes is amazing. I also think that that would be beneficial in high school. And I also think that when you're in high school, starting your junior year or your senior year, that they also institute a class that goes into, um, that we expand upon it further, and that high schools require a class about student loans, and they teach you the ins and outs of loans, student loans primarily, um, college loans, and they help you with grants and um, other money that's out there to help alleviate some of that student loan debt. Over a billion dollars goes unused in grant money for college because people don't know that it's out there and they don't know how to find it and utilize it. And so I think that a basic finance class introduced in high school carried through all three years of high school, not just introduced in your sophomore year, you take it one and once, one and done. No, I, I think it needs to be required for all three years of high school. Just to really solidify and set that habit and that foundation. I also think that it can be expanded on for student loans, but also car loans, house loans, getting into not just basics of taxes, but also if you're going to be entrepreneurial, how to see what you can get tax breaks on when you start your own business because that's the one thing with everything moving more digital and online millennials are actually some of the most entrepreneurial generations out there so that's one obvious starting place is introducing a class of basic finances in high school but for the rest of us, what can we do? One thing I like is what Elizabeth White said. Share your plights and stop faking it. One thing that holds us back, just like with mental health, one thing that holds our financial health back is not talking about it because again, we're afraid of the stigma. If people know that we are struggling financially, then what else are we struggling in? And somehow that level of success based off of finances, just all of a sudden you're not successful. And like I said previously, you're seen as a loser. We need to stop doing that. We really do. It, it's not helping anyone. In fact, 
it makes things a lot worse because instead of being able to reach out and get help or find help, we keep it to ourselves. We internalize all of it when we keep it to ourselves. We then when we internalize it, we get very anxious, we get very overwhelmed, and we start lashing out at friends and family. Like, first it starts off with a friend asking if you want to go to Panera for lunch. And you want to go out. And you say, hmm... I have plans and it isolates us because you start denying going anywhere, even to Starbucks for a four to five dollar cup of coffee or even their dollar coffee where it's just straight, nothing added, no mocha, no latte, no frappuccino, no syrups, crumbles, cinnamon, spice, all that no extra nonsense, just straight coffee. And you start to isolate yourself and you start to go, no. And you go out with your friends less and less because you can't afford to. But then when your friends start noticing a pattern of behavior, like you just not going anywhere with them, not going to that movie, not going to coffee, something as basic and as inexpensive as coffee, they don't know your financial situation unless you tell them. It would be nice if we could go out for coffee, but I really can't afford it right now. Had an an emergency come up, um, I got a flat tire, I just don't have the money for it. But we're too afraid to do that because we're so afraid that people are going to look at us and judge us harshly and go, you can't, okay, that sucks about your tire, but you're telling me that you can't afford a dollar coffee? Like, seriously? And unintentionally, we are that friend that goes, honestly, you can't afford a dollar cup of coffee? We unintentionally do it to other people without realizing it. And we fake it. So we come up with excuses like, oh, I'm busy. Oh, I've got an appointment. Ooh, yeah. And then when we isolate ourselves like that, it starts off real small and then it kind of snowballs from there. We start isolating ourselves. We stop going to things. And, and then when people start to ask us, like, if we're okay, we lash out at them and we snap it. Yes, I'm fine. I just, I don't want to go. Okay. I just don't want to go. But it's, no, it's, it's, I've got plans. I'm sorry. Maybe next time. And you see it with couples. One of the main reasons Top three reasons for divorce in the U.S. is finance. Struggles with finances. 
couples. You may have seen it with yourself and your spouse. You might see it with a friend and their spouse. You might even see it amongst your parents. Financial stress causes a lot of other stress. And we just don't like talking about it. And I know from personal experience, and again, anecdotal at best, I understand this, but I know from personal experience that Aaron and I look at money completely differently. I always check the bank account before I purchase anything. He doesn't. It irritates me. Because next thing you know, bank account's low, and I need a tank of gas to get to work, and now I have no money for gas. And I snap at him, and then he snaps at me, and next thing you know, we're arguing over finances. And it's just like, I think he's undermining me, and that he's not respecting me, and then he thinks that I'm undermining him and not respecting him, and it took us almost five years to finally sit down and come up with a budget. And even then, while he agreed to it, he still thought it was stupid. Because this was our solution. Mm. So, the one thing that it, you have to do is reevaluate your needs and wants and get really clear about your needs. Get back to your basic values. Once you get clear on your needs and you reground yourself to your values, take a look at your paycheck, your average paycheck. Then look at your basic expenses. Write them out in a list. One of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard, and I forget what million billionaire said it, but it was from a very successful person, and it was the best piece of advice that has stuck with me, is pay attention to the money going out. Too often, people look at the money coming in that they forget that the money isn't actually theirs to keep because it's a fact. You make money, it's not your money. Sorry, it's not. A hard fact, but a very real one all the same that a lot of people just don't understand because it's not your money. There's, there's rent that has to be paid. There's a mortgage. You have to pay the bank or they're going to take your house. You have to pay the electric company or they'll shut off your power. You have to pay the water company or they'll shut off. You have to pay the electric company or they'll shut off your power. You have to pay the water company or they will shut off your power. You have to pay the garbage company or you won't get your garbage collected and it'll just pile up. And then before you know it, your yard is the neighborhood dumping ground like 
it's not, you have to pay attention to the money going out and you have to get very real about it. So what I did was start with the most important one for myself. Rent, mortgage. Keeping a roof over my children's heads and my own is very important to me. The next expense, of course, was electricity and gas. Have to keep the refrigerator running, lights on, and the house warm in colder months. Then, of course, my cell phone bill because work, doctor's appointments, emergencies, daycare for the two younger ones, school for the older one. Last is internet because I don't do cable and so much stuff is done online now like we have streaming services we have a smart tv blah 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 so had to i i so internet's kind of important and again scheduling doctor's appointments a lot of that's done online now um looking for a job a lot of jobs are done online now after all of those are added up, whatever is left over gets divided down further into weekly expenses, such as groceries, gas for the car, and stuff like that. Now, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know that I've gone minimalist in my personal life, and so I don't have a lot of expenses to cut from my needs for budgeting purposes, because I've already done that. And it's actually helped me quite a bit, tailoring my budget down. I also get paid bi-weekly at my current job. So I usually take half of my bills and expenses and place them into a savings account right out the gate. I also know myself and usually look back at the previous year to see my highest electric bill and gas bill and go high end on the budget money going out. I have two separate banking accounts at my bank. Both have a checking account and basic savings accounts, but one of my accounts has an additional five savings accounts and I've named each of the, those savings accounts for their specific purpose. And they are as follows. Membership savings, the basic savings, Christmas, SOS, bill savings, rent, electric, and then the free checking, naturally. For myself, every payday, I take a very specific amount from my paycheck and place it in each account accordingly. Recently, Aaron and I bought a trailer, so I live in a trailer, and I have a lot rent to pay, which covers my garbage and water as well. So every payday, I take half of my lot rent and place it in rent. Next, I place both electric and gas money into my electric savings. Again, based off of my budget, based off of my highest bill, 
Then I place an equal amount of money into both SOS and Christmas savings. Bill savings, I place phone and internet into it. And then equal payments go into the membership savings and the checking. Once money goes into SOS, Christmas, membership savings, and checking, I set it and forget it. Unless or until I need it. And it is only when I really need it. But that's just me. And in my other same, like, banking account, by the time I divide up all the money with, and it's the same amounts every time, rent, lot rent, because of water, it fluctuates a little bit, um, and of course, electric for electric and gas, that'll fluctuate a little bit, so I usually throw about 50 to $75 extra in that. So, by the time that everything else is portioned out, I usually have about $300 left over from my paycheck that just basically sits in my other savings and checking account. That card that has a debit card attached to it that I keep on me at all times because that's my groceries and my weekly to weekly living expenses. And usually I like to, again, set it and forget it. So, but again, that's just me. The best thing that I can say is take it one step at a time. Even if it's just $20 you put into a savings account, it is still a start. And again, like so many times I've said it in so many of my previous episodes, starting is the hardest thing. Like... (laughs) As I've said in my journaling episode and quite a few other times, the hardest part is just starting. Trust me, I've been there. Where I'm thinking, there's no way I can put even $20 aside. Because something always seems to pop up. And there was always something that seemed to come up when I least expected it and made me hesitate which then led me to procrastinate, which then led to me never starting until I finally had enough. That's the other thing. Take responsibility for the role you play in your own finances and your own situation. Again, it took me nearly three years to finally take responsibility for my procrastination. I would come up with excuses and reasons to justify why I hadn't started my savings accounts and why I had not actually started putting money aside until I chatted with a friend of mine and my mom and a few other people. And I did exactly what Elizabeth White said, which was to stop faking it 
and to share my plights and to share my frustrations and to talk about it, to actually talk about it. And I was talking to my mom about my brother and his financial situation. And my friend and I were talking about her financial situation. And that's when I had a few aha moments for myself. And I could no longer justify my hesitation nor my excuses. I had to take responsibility and make some major changes that weren't easy at first. But baby steps and consistency, and making it a habit. And I also realized that we, as smart, intelligent humans, actually enjoy problem solving. We don't like solving our own problems. No, not our problems. More often than not, other people's problems. We always try to help those we care about when they talk to us about issues they are having. And this is where we are like Alice from Alice in Wonderland, where she says, I give good advice, but seldom ever follow it. I'm paraphrasing here. Don't directly quote me. But, but she says, oh, I give good advice, but I seldom ever follow it. And people like that quote because it's true. It, it's true. I know people that give wonderful, insightful, and wise advice to others. And everyone believes they have their lives together. But when you actually get to know them, you start to realize that they kind of don't. So when talking to others, listen to your own advice and have a conversation with yourself. And then chat with others you trust. Sometimes that can be a group of strangers. Even Elizabeth White started a group of strangers where they come together when they can and chat about and unload some of that anxiety and stress about their financial struggles or even the financial struggles of family members and loved ones. Sometimes just having someone to just listen can help bring about some clarity. More often than not, It leads to some form of help or at least the sharing of knowledge and possible resources. Don't be afraid to talk to someone about finances and your anxiety, stress, or struggles with finances. No one can help you if you don't ask. It's very nice to not have to fake being something you're not. It's very nice to not have to exert that extra energy that just depletes you by trying to fake. No, no, everything's good. We're all good. See, I bought the latest Ralph Lauren bag. Couldn't afford it, and I'm probably going to return it tomorrow because I knew that I had this luncheon with you guys. Can't even really afford this lunch but you know I'm meeting up with some of my friends from high school and you guys all seem successful and you know what they're probably thinking the same thing oh my gosh it's like Romeo and Michelle high school reunion you just you think that everybody else is so successful and social media doesn't help how we're all interconnected doesn't help because we all judge Based on other people's lives. Oh my gosh. So and so went on a vacation. 
and you're just going, how the fuck did they afford a vacation? How in the world could they afford to go to Thailand? How could they afford to go to Costa Rica? How could they afford to do this? How did they afford Disneyland? Seriously, how did they afford Disneyland? They were bitching about having a car payment that for a car that they didn't need and it's too expensive and what are they doing? <laughs> but they just went to Disneyland because they see the pictures on Instagram or Facebook. So don't, don't be afraid to talk about it. Don't be afraid to ask your friend, hey, what did you do? Like, how were you able to go on that trip? Because I would really like to go on a trip. And I just, like, what? what's some of your advice? Don't, don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to talk about it. I mean, again, I've just started my own financial recovery and haven't been saving for overly long. But at this point, it's been about four months now. Yeah, four months. Three and a half, four months. And while I enjoy listening and learning from people like Elizabeth White or Dave Ramsey, personally, I also know that Dave Ramsey's baby steps are attainable, just not at instant for my own personal budget. Like, the baby steps, they are attainable. They're just not instantaneous results. And we're so used to wanting instant results. No, baby steps. Get it a little at a time. I know that I'm trying to and slowly but steadily saving up to that $1,000 emergency fund and that three to six month living expenses emergency fund as well that Dave Ramsey talks about in his baby steps. Personally, my tax returns go to paying off any and all debt as well. Take a look at my debt. If I can um, dispute some claims, then I will. I'm almost completely debt-free because I've done it this way. And again, that's just me. I am still a work in progress myself. And I am the sole source of income at my house with my family at present. So it's tricky. I get it. But it can be done. And once you start, keep at it. Practice, practice, practice. Eventually, it becomes one of those good habits. And practice makes perfect. Or close enough. Well, I don't know if... I don't know if any of this was helpful. I hope it was. But it definitely was fun to talk about. Again, especially since we're coming into the holiday season. Um, maybe this will help, maybe not for this year, but for next year. As soon as Christmas is over and you get that first paycheck after the holidays, start breaking it down. Start saving. So, still a serious topic, but a little more fun. Definitely a lot of anecdotal advice, so, but 
please listen and follow or subscribe to this podcast. Don't hesitate to share with your friends or reach out to me via email at displacedunderdogs at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at displaced.underdogs. And until next time, be brave, stay safe, create, and enjoy your day. (laughs) Bye.